Hello, downtown campus and all of you watching online. My name is Zach Carter. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, one of the things that uh, River Trees elders are really passionate about is seeing uh, our children from cradle to college be propelled into lifelong obedience to Christ. They want to see our children be made disciples and parents taught how to do that. And uh, they're really passionate about that. And so one of the key ways and one of our key strategies in doing that is bringing together people who are really talented. And even before, this is Josh Evans, our new student pastor. Even before he came here, we had a great student ministry team and Josh has come on board and uh, he and John are working together to help our middle school and high school students love Jesus more, right? And so, uh, Josh, I just want to give you a second to uh, tell the group, uh, the congregation, kind of what you love about students and anything else you want to say. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you. I'm excited to be here, uh, excited to, uh, to join the team. Uh, everyone's been super gracious to us as a, as a family. Um, so, yeah, I'm Josh Evans. I've been doing student ministries for about 15 years or so. Uh, it's, um, it's a passion of mine because uh, I guess in some ways I'm a big kid myself, uh, and so uh, it's uh, kind of nice to be able to, to impart things that I wish I would have known and learned as a kid too, two kids, and, and see them love Jesus as much as uh, I feel like I love Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited to be here. We're excited about uh, seeing these kids grow and seeing families grow together. We're really interested in, in seeing the whole unit come to, to love Jesus and know Jesus together. So, so yeah, we're excited. Uh, I'd love to meet you as well. So if you want to reach out to me or anything like that, or through Zach, uh, we'd love to, to introduce myself, and uh, my family will be here in the second service, uh, and you can, you can see them then. So, yeah. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you. We really are thrilled uh, that, that Josh is here, and the team uh, that's going to plug into our students is going to be something that you're going to hear more and more about as this year begins to unfold, uh, especially as even Zach and Josh, John, Cassie, others are, are even creating something that's going to be helpful to you as a church, as a family, to think about just river tree strategy of what we think about from our children all the way to college, the things that we want them learning, the experiences that we want them to have. Uh, Zach's going to be sharing that in the next few weeks uh, as we approach a Sunday that really highlights the family. Uh, and gives us a chance to celebrate kind of what God is creating in your homes and the things that River Tree hopefully can get alongside and support. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, we are in a series called Working Out. And this series is one that we started a few weeks ago as the year started. And it's giving us uh, an opportunity to explore some things and explore what it means to grow what it means to change as a Christian, and to kind of look at the aspects of growth and change and, and what that means for us in our life. I was having a conversation with a friend at River Tree this past week, and he made the observation. He said, Ross, in my experience, like when you become a Christian, there is this kind of energy, this excitement, like lots of things are changing. Like it's, it's like Genesis chapter 27 when Jacob wakes up and he says, Surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. And there is this excitement and this newness that comes with being an, a new Christian. And then after a while, change feels more gradual. And I thought, that's, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of accuracy to that. That the things that God is doing, kind of as it begins, as we kind of start this experience with God through faith in Christ, 
what happens after a while is what Paul begins to talk about in Philippians chapter 2 when he says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, there is this process that God is fully committed to, but God allows us as his kids to co-labor with him in this process to cultivate or neglect this work that God wants to do in each one of us. And so this working out of our salvation is something that you and I, we're to experience salvation at, in every area at every level. And what I mean by that is there are probably some places in your life that because of the work of God, you've experienced some kind of restoration, you've experienced health, but there are other areas in your life where that health and restoration, that newness is still yet to be fully experienced. And God brings us into these moments of what I call unlikeness. That there are moments where God brings a sense of understanding, kind of awareness, that there's a certain area of my life that is old. That is part of the, the old Ross, the old self, the old strategy, the old man, right? This strategy, this philosophy of life, these certain kind of ways in which I would interact or approach others that is kind of part of the old way, the before Christ. And God invites us into what it looks like for your life and my life to be more like Christ, to take on the character of Christ in that particular area. And, and we see this kind of working itself out, that God wants salvation not just for to experience something to be experienced within our souls, as if we could just experience eternal security with him, but God has designed salvation to be experienced at every level of your life, your relationships, your finances, your work ethic, all of that, marriage, parenting, that God would have something saving, renewing, restoring that would be impactful at every area. So this is what the series is hopefully bringing to the surface for each one of us is, well, what does change look like? What does it look like for my life to truly mature in Christ? What are the areas that God loves to, to begin to cultivate, that God loves to transform and for me to grow, to mature? How do I do that? And so last week we looked at a, we used a diagnostic question. And the question is this, am I resting in the finished work of Christ? Am I resting in the finished work of Christ? And to help kind of diagnose a growth area, I believe this question begins to reveal something that God loves to do. And it's, and it's in this area. It, in other words, Am I, have I stopped striving for acceptance with God and now believe that my past, present, and future has been so radically changed by Christ's cross that I now stand, rest within a permanent relationship of love and grace with God? That's, that's what that question begins to unearth. And you can imagine how you begin to answer that question how am I, am I really resting in the finished work of Christ? means this, that you are in Christ more than okay. You're one of God's children. It means that you're more than forgiven, but you are righteous. And this position that we now have of being in, in Christ means that we are resting from all striving. We are making every effort to enter into that kind of rest. In other words, we're not making any more backroom deals with God. We're not going to God anymore and saying, God, 
I'll do this if you do this. Like we don't live with God in that kind of exchange and that kind of bartering. We don't look at the, re- the circumstances of our life and when we experience something painful, we think, well, somehow I've fallen out of favor with God. Like something, this is God kind of bringing something into my life and because I've done something wrong. Like to rest in the finished work of Christ means that you are accepted to God. You are acceptable to God in Christ because of what Christ has done, not what you've done. Because of Christ's good work and not yours. And that changes so many things. Just think about how answering that question and where you are within that question answers issues of fear, worry, people-pleasing. Like it, it, it just has its way kind of to move out into all these different aspects of our life. Am I resting in the finished work of Christ? And so if you want to wrestle with that question, if you, if you weren't here last Sunday, go back online, listen to that message, because all of these questions, there's six of them in total that we're going to bring to you. One of those questions is actually one that Jay, tonight in the, uh, in the simplified message, he's going to begin touching on. One of those questions that we'll look at in the next few weeks is, when was the last time I introduced Christ into a conversation? Jay's actually going to help us with that this evening. But the question I want us to look at today, the second question is this, am I delighting in the nearness of God through prayer and Bible study? Am I delighting in the nearness of God through prayer and Bible study? Now, let me help us again too, because if you are, if you feel like I do, when you hear kind of this, um, this, this topic of prayer and Bible study, know this, I am not introducing you to a new works-based salvation or works-based righteousness. Like to think about prayer and Bible study and that, well, all Christians should do that. And am I doing that enough? And how do I do that more? I'm not trying to create in you some kind of tension that says, if I'm doing prayer and Bible study, if I'm doing that and I do that pretty regularly, then I'm okay with God. That's not the point of what I'm trying to offer you in this moment. But what I want you to see is the why behind prayer and Bible study. Why is prayer and Bible study something that God loves to grow and mature us in? Why is that part of the core of who we are and what God is often doing in us? Am I delighting in the nearness of God through prayer and Bible study? Prayer and Bible study is part of a category that we'll often call the spiritual disciplines. And it's within this list of things like solitude or silence or serving, worship. But it's helped me over the years as I think about prayer and Bible study as not just another Christian activity, not just a duty, but something that God has created that allows me to experience the goodness and the nearness of God. That prayer and Bible study actually become a privilege And they begin to allow me to express a certain amount of joy that's found there. And so as we think about Scripture, I just want to start with Scripture first. For us to understand what Scripture is and and how it connects to our relationship with God, we, we kind of have to speak in kind of broad terms about, well, what is Scripture? What is the written Word of God? And and how does the written Word of God connect us to the living Word of God? How is the Bible and Jesus, how do they come together? So I, I just I want to kind of broadly, listen, you could hear a hundred sermons on uh, Scripture, the importance of it, the Bible, uh, prayer. And so I, I can't go into all of that, but I just want to say, like, what is the connection here between the Bible and Jesus? My kids have been in school for 
a lot of years. I've got one in all, at Auburn now, but I've got another one just finishing middle school. And so we've been in school mode for a long time. And it is not an, an unusual experience for us at the breakfast table for someone to pass me a stack of papers and say, Dad, you need to sign these. I'm like, what is it for? It's for school. It's some kind of field trip permission, or it's some kind of code of conduct, and it's something that I need your signature on. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I will often say, well, just put my name on it. Like, why am I still seeing these papers at this point? Like, we're, we're, like, we're way into this. And, and so just, just, just write my name on it. And there's this moment where they're like, I don't know if that's okay. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. But there's something that is within that signature, right? My children can forge my name on the code of conduct. They could sign the check for me. But if I didn't write it, then that signature, that word, does not have all of the meaning behind it. But if I do sign it, if I do put my word on it, then with my word comes my intentions, my personality, my feelings, that word, my word carries all of that if it's truly mine. And this is what we begin reading. Someone else's word, right, includes intentions and feelings of the person who wrote it. And this is what Paul is highlighting when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Meaning that all of Scripture is, is God's written word, and with it comes God's personality, God's intentions, feelings, meanings. It conveys things. And Paul goes on to say that Scripture is this. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, to make the man of God complete, he says, equipped for every good work, that there is something about Scripture, God's written word, God breathed, that brings completeness to the man of God. The Bible is the result, one of the results of God speaking. As God spoke and created, as he kind of spoke the universe into existence, the word of God, the written word of God, is a product of God speaking, and it's, it's inerrant. It is without error in its an original kind of and it's, a, it's its original form. And this is the hard work of all of the translators, is how do we be most true to the original form? It is without error. It is infallible in its purpose to bring us to a relationship with God, meaning it does everything that we need it to do when it comes to our relationship with God, to be alive in Christ, to know God. The Bible doesn't answer everything that you would like to know about life, but it does answer everything you need to know about life with God. And because of that, it gives us, in a sense, access to the thoughts, to the intentions, to the ideas of God that make something for us to know God. You cannot know God, you cannot know Jesus in the same wonderful way without Scripture. That through the Scriptures, God becomes knowable to us. We, we, we understand Him through His Word, His thoughts, His intentions, His personality. The Bible gives us a kind of access to God. And accessibility is one of the great themes of the Bible. When you consider the story of the Bible, the great narrative, it really moves from nearness 
to isolation, back to nearness. That there was something that happened within the garden when Adam and Eve, before sin came, in which they walked with God, they knew God, there was a closeness to God that they shared. But when sin came and Adam and Eve fell, they were left the garden. They weren't allowed to enter back into the garden. And from that point on, God began to move through history in different ways to reveal himself, to be near his people. We see God speaking to specific individuals. Then we see God kind of speaking to the entire nation at Mount Sinai. Then God moves through prophets, bringing the word of God to bear closer and closer. And then wonderfully, we get God incarnate. We get God in the flesh, but it's just God in one person. And as wonderful as Jesus was, Jesus leaves so that we might have God now by his spirit residing in every believer. Another move towards closeness, another move towards accessibility. And ultimately, we will, without shadow, be with God in heaven. And heaven is not just the place where Christians now indulge in kind of all of God's blessing. Heaven is the place where we have God in full access. That's the beauty of heaven, is that God would be near us, that we would have God's presence in full. And the Bible is this kind of powerful, authoritative word of God written for us so that we might know God, relate to God, draw near to him, and realize how God has drawn near to us. And this is what we're going to see, that the written word then begins to reveal to us the living word. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said the study of the scriptures, right? We go to them and you, you, go, you, you find them, but you, you research them. But the point of the scriptures is that you find Jesus, to know Jesus. And this is what we see after the resurrection as Jesus is walking alongst two disciples in this moment that we call this road to Emmaus, this exchange. And as Jesus comes alongside these two disciples, they don't recognize him right away. And they're, they're talking about all the events. And Jesus says, hey, what are you, what are you guys talking about? And we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about who he was. We're talking about he went to the cross. We thought he was the Messiah. And now we're hearing stories that the tomb is empty and he might be alive. And Jesus then says to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus goes back through the entire Old Testament, not just the New Testament. Right? He starts with Moses, meaning the first five books of the Bible. And he begins to make his way through the entire Old Testament saying, this is what all of that meant because it was pointing to me. In other words, scripture is designed to connect you with God through a belief in Jesus, to give us access. Am I delighting in the nearness of God through prayer and Bible study? In other words, am I going to the scriptures to gain information? Am I going to the scriptures to find out what happened to the dinosaurs? Am I going to the scriptures to kind of give my wife, or my spouse, some information about how they could be a better spouse? You know, why am I going to the scriptures? And what you realize is the scriptures were uniquely designed to reveal to us God's word, his heart, his intentions, his, his personality, and so bring us to a greater understanding of who Jesus is. I have, this, I have this cardboard box in my closet, and it just collects things 
over the years. It's, it's, it's pretty much, it's filled up with stuff. And they're just random, little odds and ends. But one of the things that makes up a good portion of this box are greeting cards. Now, I'm not telling you that, listen, greeting cards are expensive. I don't know why they're so expensive. But when you buy those and you, you write some little sentiment, some idea, and you give it to somebody, if you give one of those to me, I might save it. And over the years, those Father's Day cards and birthday cards and anniversary cards end up collecting on my bedside table that I don't know why. I'm not real sentimental, but I just, I'm not really ready to throw them away. If they stay there long enough, they end up in this box. And then every couple years, I'm kind of cleaning out the closet and I see this box and I start going through it again. And I'm like, I'm just not really ready to give that away. Because in this box, there are letters from my children. There's notes from my wife, from my parents, from my first student minister, pastors. And, and every now and then, one of these cards, one of these letters will be written in such a way that it will say something that I just cherish, that I just, I just hold dear. And, and sometimes it's what I needed to hear, and sometimes the words are so particular to the person that, they re, that the words reveal them. That there are some times where I'll read something and like, that is so my son. I, it's, it's just classic. And I fold it, and I just stick it, and I hold on to it. And the way that the scriptures, the way that the Bible is designed is that actually the written word of God can become a living word to you from God. It can become something special in which we begin to cherish as well. Addressed to us, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That's all. To realize what the Bible is to us. And it's more than our Christian duty to study it. Uh, to, to gain insight and information. But for the growing Christian, it's this, it becomes a more normal experience for you and I to treasure it, to contemplate it, to meditate on it. These words, these very words that God has written of his thoughts and his tensions. And then what we begin to do over time is we take the very words of God and they actually become our own prayers back to him. And we begin praying these scriptures and working in and out of God's very words and intentions to meditate on it. And what happens is as we take the very words of God and we treasure them and we hold on to them, they create this kind of emotional and spiritual space where Jesus begins to do something on the interior of our lives. Well, he begins to transform our mind and our hearts through a holding on of these words. As these words are living and active, as they're still creative, as God spoke and it was written, and now we have that, we treasure it. And something happens inside of us through this access to God, through this knowing of God through his written word that shapes and transforms us. Listen to what Jeremiah said in chapter 15. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. 
That's what Jeremiah, Jeremiah is, I mean, in, in this special language, the way he's, I mean, he, he's eating. I mean, this is this idea of he's taking God's words in and it mixes, something in that experience mixes with joy and delight. And, and in that, Jeremiah, there's an understanding of who he is to God and who God is to him. I'm called by your name. I want you to see what the Bible is to us. What the written word of God is for us and the access that it creates and the knowing of God that it creates and this union and relationship that all of a sudden is fostered by our spending time and treasuring and valuing the word of God. Are you delighting in the nearness of God through the Bible, through scripture? This is something that God wants to cultivate in us. This is something, a gift that God has given us that God wants us to grow in. Not just that, but it's also in prayer. This is another spiritual discipline or pathway. And I would just say a lot has been written about prayer too. Kind of the techniques of prayer, how to have effective prayer. But I want you to hear this, that more than kind of praying to kind of get things done, to produce things, to fix problems or symptoms of problems, prayer is also another deep work of relating to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here it is, pray without ceasing. And then the psalmist writes this, which is an interesting tension it creates. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So here we have in Scripture, pray, pray without ceasing, pray continually, pray always. And then we also see these moments where God knows what you need before you ask. Right? Have you ever experienced that tension? Have you ever wrestled with that moment? So then why pray? Why do I pray if God already knows what I need before I ask? Why do I pray if God is in control and God is going to do what he wants to do? Then why am I really praying? Right? Have you ever asked those questions? Those are common questions for us. If he's in control, then what are my prayers really doing? And the reason we ask questions like that is because we have, we've, we've fallen into an understanding that prayer is some attempt to control or to direct God. That really what that communicates is our desire to influence God. But prayer is primarily relational more than functional. It's more of a relational dynamic steeped in wonder and the accessibility of God and the nearness of God. Henry Nouwen, a Dutch Catholic priest, professor, writer, said this, Prayer is not an attempt to influence God, offering comfort in stress-filled times, but to divest ourselves of all false belongings and become free to belong to a God to God alone. Now, here's what he says. You have this. You can read along. Prayer is such a radical act because it requires us to criticize our whole way of being in the world, to lay down our old selves and to accept our new self, which is Christ in Christ. Prayer, therefore, is the act of dying to all that we consider to be our own and being born into a new existence, which is not of this world. What he's saying is prayer is this movement from independence to dependence, Prayer is this movement in our life from isolation to family, from death to life, where your life was in the world, just yours, and now in prayer, unified, connected, relating to God with accessibility to God that transforms us. It's this 
incredible dynamic of who we were apart from God to now with prayer illustrating who we now are in relationship to him. That God would hear us. That God would be accessible to us. That it's more, prayer is more than presenting God our shopping lists and all the problems to fix. But prayer is this, this idea that we could actually know God. Listen, we have to do a better job of of not approaching God in a way in which we're trying to control him. And this is a lot of what we do with our prayers is we kind of enter into this relationship with God, but the whole time we're kind of actively avoiding kind of real intimacy. We're keeping God at arm's distance because our prayers are really more about, God, will you do this? God, would this happen? You're kind of giving God his his to-do list for the day. Rather than approaching God and not trying to get God on your page, but joining God's page. Allowing something to happen inside of us, to engage in prayer, is to, is to really engage in this reorientation of our internal life. It, it begins to change us where we're not just dealing with God in our prayer closets, but we're actually kind of moving through life with God and all things. That we're in constant communion, always praying without ceasing, being always aware of this relationship that we have with him, being oriented to God at the deepest levels of our being. Philippians chapter 4, let me just highlight just an aspect of this. Verse 5, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul says the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious, but in everything with supplication. What does this word mean, supplication? Right? Supplication and thanksgiving are dispositions. It's, it's not necessarily techniques, but supplication is recognizing that there is an inadequacy in me. And and there's an impotence in me to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. And so I'm seeking somebody. I'm, I'm seeking out someone who is powerful, who can accomplish. And Paul seems to call us in the midst of life's issues and all the circumstances that we face to come back time and time again to recognize that I can't do it. It's not within me. I don't have the resources. I can't accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. There's an inadequacy in our ability to maintain order, to control the outcomes, to influence this wild world. And Paul says, this is how we approach God. We approach God as if he's the source of sufficiency, that he can where we can't. And so it's not that we're approaching God. You know, Supplication and thanksgiving aren't reactions to a difficult situation. Supplication and thanksgiving are the way we approach. They're, they're postures that we live in of who God is and who we aren't, of our struggles and yet God being an overcomer. And what happens is, is this idea of recognizing the greatness of God and our limitations becomes a habit of the heart so that we're always praying. We're always seeking him with thanksgiving. We're not going to God with thanksgiving to get God to do something. We're going to God with thanksgiving because we've already settled at a deep level of trust without demands, not requiring outcomes, without reservations. Prayer is this 
amazing access and exchange with the God of the universe that you call Father. And it's not our attempt to control or to manipulate or to create outcomes. It's just to be caught up in the wonder and to delight that God would be near you. He would give you access. He would know you, that he would listen. And through prayer and scripture, we're we're cultivating what one writer said, a a familiar friendship with Jesus. As As we spend time, as we share ideas, that we sink down into this life of Christ that we have, and there's something that settles and becomes comfortable in this posture of how we delight in him. So do you? Like, I, I, in, in, your, in your habits and your disciplines of prayer and Bible study, do you delight in prayer and Bible study? Are you aware of the access that you have through God's written word and through your word back to him? Prayer and scripture reading, it doesn't make us closer to God in that sense, but it makes you aware of how near God already is. Prayer and Bible study, they don't, They don't make God love you more. All of a sudden, they just reveal how much God already loves you. It softens your heart to what's already true in this relationship because of Christ. It becomes this amazing journey of privilege and joy to have God's word and to be able to commune and fellowship with God. And this is a sign of growth and maturity in all of God's people is that there would be this excitement and this delight that would begin to rise up in our lives because of the nearness of God. It's one of the things that God wants to do in you and me. It's one of the signs of maturing faith is this understanding of what we have and how it happens in our lives. Am I delighting in the nearness of God? And so I just want to take just the last few minutes of the service and just honestly just create some space for us to hear God's word, maybe to allow it to resonate in us, to begin to pray and to begin to sense that it's not just at home, it's not just in solitude, it's not just, but that actually God is near now. That there's something beautiful that happens within the community of God's people. That when we read about prayer, when we, when we read about the scripture being read, it's often in community where that's taking place. And so there's something beautiful that happens when God's people are together and the nearness and the accessibility of God becomes more clear to us, becomes more real to us. So over the next few minutes, I just want to read some of the verses from Psalm 119. Just read those over you and allow you, perhaps there might be one of those verses that you would hear that you would go like, I think that's one I want to hold on to this morning. And it becomes a a prayer for you. Then I've asked Josh to just come and begin to sing for us a song over us that would just highlight the wonder that God would be accessible to you and me. Let's pray. God, as we read your word this morning, speak first. God, and let us hear you. Let's hear your word, your heart, your intentions. And from that, let us Learn how to respond. God, maybe something in your word this morning that we've already read or even something that we're about to see and hear within this psalm, God, would it, could it be something that would allow our heart to rejoice in, 
to settle into, that we could create space right now just to hear your word and allow it to shape and change our hearts, our minds. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Your statutes are a heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let not sin rule over me. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your laws. And those who devise wicked schemes, God, they are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, Lord. You are near. God, we pray for this space right now to move and shape something within us, to know you, to have access to you, God, that you are not far. And God, we confess how often we come in these moments trying to change things, trying to manipulate, trying to control. God, free us from that posture and let us settle in at what it looks like to rest in your arms as a weaned child rests in its mother's arms. God, let us in this moment God, just be in your presence. Not needing anything more than just to be near. God, let us again to be amazed at the wonder that you would open yourself up to be close to us, to be known by us. For your word to be a light to our path, let our prayers and our words to you also, God, kind of mingle in this divine fellowship. Allow our hearts to just be settled and encouraged. <laughs>